whole and uh, things that come to mind. Not a whole lot, no. Uh, Polish sausages? No, I don't know anything about that country. <laughs> Pierogies. Is that it? We hope it's not. That's what we're going to try to show you. Welcome to Polcast, Pole and all that jazz. Hello, I'm Małgorzata Bonikowska. And I'm Tomek Kniat. Welcome to Polcast. In this episode, we'll tell you... How the polka dance is not what it seems to be. Why some Canadians invest so much time and effort to learn Polish. How a photographer sees her work in our image-obsessed world. We have been talking a lot about what people and things are Polish, although not many of us knew about it. Now we'll do something exactly the opposite. We will tell you what is not Polish, although you probably thought it was. Most of us know the folk dance called Polka. In fact, the name in Polish means a woman of Polish nationality. Polak is a Polish guy, and Polka is a Polish woman or girl. Well, Polka is a dance, but it's not originally a Polish dance. However much we Poles would like to attribute its origins to ourselves, in fact, it's an invention of Poland's neighbor, Bohemia, today part of the Czech Republic. It originated in the middle of the 19th century. Why is it called Polka? The name possibly comes from Czech word Polka, half, referring to the short half-steps featured in the dance. The dance appeared in the 1830s, then spread to the upper classes in Prague, then Paris, where it inspired the so-called Polkomania. The dance soon spread to London and was introduced to America in 1844. It remained a popular ballroom dance until the late 19th century, when it would give way to the two-step and new ragtime dances. Most dance music composers in Vienna, for example the Strauss family, composed polkas and included them in their repertoire. One of the well-known polkas is the Piccicato polka. probably find it surprising that this dance is not only popular in Europe, but also in South America, especially in Peru and Argentina, when they develop their own polka styles. A special land of polka lovers is the United States, where polka is promoted by the International Polka Association, based in Chicago, which works to preserve the cultural heritage of polka music and to honor its musicians through the Polka Hall of Fame. It is even the official dance of the state of Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. 
Someone stole a kishka, someone stole a kishka, someone stole a kishka from the butcher shop. Maggie Habieda, an international award-winning artist photographer, runs a high-end portrait studio, Photographia Boutique, in an upscale town of Oakville, near Toronto. Her great passion for photography, her professionalism and creativity, as well as her highly personal approach, have made her a favorite photographer of celebrities and many very well-known people. Maggie shares with us her thoughts about the art of photographing such people. So you you do a lot of photographing of people who are well-known, politicians, arts people, different people from business. I just want to talk about the issue of how people see that they need to be photographed in order to be okay for the purpose and the community for which they want to um, show their photographs. I may not know much about other professions out there, but I surely do know my business. Uh, which I built by feelings. Well, often when people come and, and they have a vision, idea of how they want to be or the, how they must be portrayed, I want to get to the bottom of things. I want to see them as people, not, not even knowing about the profession that they do or, you know, I do ask what is the purpose of your image, but but I, I, I truly... Uh, almost like there's a there's a formula, a guide to go by. Often they say I have to have a black suit with a red tie or black suit with a blue tie. And I ask why? Why can you not just wear something different that expresses you as a person? And that's when they say we must be a certain way. And that question we must be, who says we must be? You, you've mentioned politics, right? So obviously you must have come across this issue with politicians that you photographed. What, what were those um, norms that you think were imposed on them? I think that the higher a person reaches a position of power, the more control they lose over themselves as a human being on the human level. That they have fewer and fewer choices over what they can say, who they can be with, what they can do in their space and, and time. And most important to me, how they can look anywhere in any medium at any time. A point here that I'm making is that these are people like everybody else. They are powerful and they have people voting for them or support them or look up to them. But they are also mothers, fathers, aunts, uncles, and grandparents. I would like to see more humans in our society who have positions of power. And my, my point is, just be yourself. Allow me to meet, to get to know you uh, a bit more, more to, to show their soul who they really are in real life. I'm referring to people very high positions, okay? So when they come, often they, they have this wall that um, I, I, my job is to break that wall, to bring out their personality, what's inside them. And and I, I'll give you an example. I had somebody who came for five minutes and I didn't know anything about them. I didn't do research. This was kind of last minute booking. So I asked the person what he does for a living. He was so nice and friendly with a big smile. It was Michael Clements, Pinball. And so I asked him, started photographing him and and you know it was it was not an easy task and then we had this ball in the studio we gave it to him and I asked him can you run run pinball and he, he ran and it was that image and it became the cover of, of Oakville Voice. Do these restrictions refer mostly to men or to women or both? 
Good question. Uh, both. Uh, but I would say I am particularly um, speaking here of women because I'm a woman myself. The regulations are the standards. Have you ever seen anywhere in the public uh, realm a different photographs of politicians or public people, sort of important people? Yes, I have seen um, President Obama's wife being photographed in an extremely glamorous way, and she looked absolutely stunning. And I, I mean, the more beautiful, the, the better it is, in my opinion. Uh, also, our Prime Minister, Justin Trudeau, they, they had a, a beautiful photo session done right after and they looked absolutely stunning because they were portrayed as as a family as a loving couple but does it have to be always on the glamorous side or give it as an example uh, i like i like glamour why not it adds so much beauty to a woman makes her look feel more special that is my but as 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 an example it could be in any other way how much time do you need in order to be able to to get to know the person that you're going to photograph uh, enough in order to to be able to show the real person? Uh, sometimes doesn't take long. And uh, the the question that I ask people is, what are you passionate about? The minute you ask that question, most people know what they love doing, what their passion is, and and that breaks their eyes. They talk about themselves, they say it, and they say it in a passionate way. And that allows me to capture that moment, and that's all I really need for a business session. And when I see that, um, how they open up after the first click, that's the biggest joy. And the people who are most difficult to photograph? Uh, it could be anyone, truly, and I'm very surprised because sometimes people that are on television, media people, they say, "Oh, I'm not super, I'm not so good for pictures." And I open my eyes wide and say, "You, you, you're, you're not being serious, are you?" Do you think that we are generally obsessed with images? Yeah, with today's social media. Everybody looks you up before they even meet you. They want to see what you look like. And often uh, that first visit decides, uh, you make a first impression, you make your first opinion by looking at the person. Having less imagery and good image is what matters. And when I say good, it means not just physically on the outside, it's bringing the inside, bring the, bringing the soul of a human being is what's most important. And that's not easy to do, not impossible, but that's what we should look at, the inner beauty with the outside beauty combined. Now with uh, so much access to, you know, both the hardware, all the equipment, everybody keeps taking pictures all the time. Does it have any influence on the position of a photographer? It still makes a big difference. Because so many shots are being taken, they're digital, they're, you know, the people have on their iPhones, phones, they have these instant filters that edit you instantly. You cannot take your own picture with an iPhone and, and, you know, and, and promote your business with that. You just simply cannot. And, uh, and it's visible. If you go on LinkedIn and you look at, um, take a, take a quick look. And I would say, 90% of the people out there have a selfie with a phone. You don't take them seriously. But when you see someone with a professional headshot, the way it should be done, they stand out. I personally, I go back to classics. I'm a believer of capturing one image that will last for generations. You know, how many do we need, really? We could, as you mentioned, we could have one taken per year. I say 
A good business portrait can last you up to five years. So going back to the olden days, the royal days, uh, queen, queens and kings had this amazing portrait of themselves on large canvas that stayed for generations for all of us to see and admire. Many of our Canadian listeners are familiar with this voice. Good morning, I'm Peter Zosky from the Temple Garden Spa in Moose Jaw, Saskatchewan. This is Morningside, the finale. Peter Gzowski, the voice of the CBC Morning Radio in Toronto for 27 years at the end of the 20th century. He came from a family of famous Polish Canadians. His grandfather, Kazimir, Kazimierz, has made invaluable contributions to Canada. Sir Kazimierz Stanislaw Gzowski paved Toronto's Young Street, said to be the longest street in the world, built Niagara's International Bridge and much of Montreal's harbour, a wide variety of Canadian railways, as well as the Welland Canal, priceless to international trade. He was a person highly respected and admired in Canada, a colonel, a lawyer, an educator, an avid athlete, and a close friend of Sir John A. Macdonald, first Prime Minister of Canada. Gzowski was born in St. Petersburg to a noble Polish father, Count Stanisław Gzowski. He emigrated with his family to the United States after the Polish November uprising against Russia in 1830. He knew no English, but soon learned enough to study law and became a lawyer. His father was an engineer, and this became his primary interest. Kazimierz became involved in railway construction in the United States. Eventually, he was hired as an engineer to help the construction of the New York and Erie Railway. In 1841, he moved to Canada to work on the Welland Canal, a true engineering masterpiece thanks to which huge cargo ships can get from the Atlantic Ocean to the Great Lakes. Together with several other engineers, he formed the Canadian Society of Civil Engineers. The Gold Gzowski Medal has been awarded annually for outstanding contributions to engineering. Gzowski was a truly Renaissance man. Apart from civil engineering, he had great accomplishments in the military, was the first commissioner of the Niagara Parks Commission, created the Queen's Plate, the first organized thoroughbred uh, horse race in North America, and founded Canada's first rifle association. He was knighted by Queen Victoria in 1890. Canada remembers Gzowski. There is a Gzowski's monument in Toronto, and visitors to Niagara Falls can see a plaque commemorating his contributions while walking down the river from the Magnificent Falls. We know that many immigrant children attend Saturday school to learn the languages of their parents, such as Polish. But there are also schools where adults study the Polish language. Some of the students do not even have Polish roots. One such school, which I visited to meet its students and hear their stories, is run by Ivona Malinowski in Mississauga and Burlington near Toronto. Ivona, a teacher with 20 years' experience of teaching in Poland and in Canada, 
also the president of the Polish Teachers Association in Canada, loves her job. Your school is not a typical uh, Polish Saturday school, not at all. It's not meant for young kids uh, who um, come from Polish families. How did this whole idea start? Yes, my school is different, for sure. Um, a few years ago, I noticed that more and more children coming to Polish heritage schools in Canada are from mixed culture language families, uh, where one of the parents doesn't speak Polish. That's why I decided to teach adults. So many of those parents ask me, can you teach me, can you teach me? Because we didn't have any schools for adults, really. And that's why I've decided, okay, it's time to do it. And you know what? I never, never expected to have so many participants. Not only do I have some parents having like Polish children in Polish schools, but many others, like especially young Canadians getting married. My students are from different backgrounds, different cultures. And sometimes it's very interesting, like, for example, talking to a young man whose parents are from India, and he asks me to call him Rishu. It's a very, very Polish um, name, and he wants to be called Rishu because his wife calls him Rishu. And this is, to me, like, very interesting, like, people are so different, different cultures, and they all coming to this class just to learn Polish language. And many Polish people are like, Polish language? They want to learn that? Why? You know? But um, as you know, uh, being in my class, they have different reasons, and that makes me happy because it feels good to teach them and, and make them happy and make them communicate with Polish people. How long do they take before they can actually communicate? Uh, as you know, Polish language is not easy. <laughs> More um, exceptions than rules. But it depends how much they work at home and uh, some at work also because they have colleagues at home, at work, and if they have some friends to talk to and how much time they spend. But if somebody is serious about it, they can come and they have like 30 or 60 hours of Polish language and they can speak maybe a little bit less than understand because understanding is first and, and later you speak but they can make simple conversations because we have classes where we uh, we learn mostly conversations, everyday live conversations, and that really helps. Having this kind of experience must also give you a lot of insight and knowledge about the mixed marriages. I mean, we live in this country which is so multicultural, and you come across these incredible combinations of cultures and, and ethnic group. Absolutely. And this is beautiful about Canada that we have uh, different backgrounds, different cultures. But at the end, we are all the same people and we have so many mixed marriages right now. What is good that kids can learn both languages. Not only they know English, like we all do, but also they can speak uh, mom's language and dad's language and this is beautiful like sometimes I have those classes when I invite people with the partners and kids and to see like a little uh, Polish Chinese girl speaking beautifully uh, Polish language that makes everybody happy like we have so much fun with those kids or sometimes when parents are coming to school to pick up the kids 
And if dad, for example, comes and they speak Polish to him, when mom's comes, uh, mom comes, um, they speak uh, Spanish to, to her. And, and that is interesting. It's such a good uh, opportunity for parents mm-hmm. to learn different languages, but also for, for children. I love uh, those students and they are so serious about learning our language. Sometimes after um, uh, finishing the course uh, here, they go to Poland. They just register at one of those universities in Poland and they study more because they want to know more. They want to be more advanced to understand not only wife's family, but especially kids. Do you think that there is a step forward from your class, uh, from the language to the culture? Do they uh, seem to be more interested? Do they seek information outside just about the, not just about the language, but about Poland and about Polish roots? Absolutely. Most of them, most of them want to go to Poland right after they finish the course. And they go and they do and they say everything makes sense when they are there. First of all, uh, they can speak because they are a little bit maybe afraid or they think maybe they don't know Polish language before they go to Poland. But when they are there and listen to the people, they feel like, oh, I know that this, this and they practice more. But also they want to learn more. Because uh, uh, when they come to my class, it's not only about learning language, it's also about learning about Poland, our traditions, and, and everything, whatever is interesting about our country. And that makes them feel like they want to go. Some of them, they go uh, just to study more. Some of them just to visit. And some of them have family there in Poland, and they were never in touch. They feel comfortable enough to speak a little bit of Polish, just to go and visit them for the first time after they finish uh, the course. They feel need to do more. Everybody knows and everybody tells me, even when they came ba- come back from Poland, how beautiful country it is and how much they want to return and talk about it with Canadian friends. And I think this is good for our culture and good for our country. Can you think of a, of one story that was particularly amazing that happened throughout all this time that you have been teaching Polish to adults? I have so many stories. I, it's difficult to pick just one. But uh, every year there is uh, something interesting. Like uh, once there was a teacher. Uh, she's very Canadian. No friends, Polish friends. Uh, no Polish background, no Polish uh, 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 any experience. And she decided, uh, uh, one year she decided to take t- uh, a year off from, from work and study a language. And she decided to study Polish language. Mm-hmm. And she was in my class uh, for a year just to learn Polish language. At the beginning of each year, I asked them, why you're here, many middle-aged people, Uh, They come to my class not because they really need to learn Polish language, but they they feel a need to learn Polish heritage, to understand parents. Like when I'm talking about Polish culture, they say, oh, that's why my mom said that. That's why my mom did that. They understand more our culture, and that makes them feel good because, you know, I'm guessing when you're getting older, you feel like you want to know more about your past. And that's why they are in my class. This was the teacher. But there are also over a dozen students who shared their stories with me. We will let you listen to them one by one in the following episodes of podcast. 
as each one of them is very interesting and unique. In the last episode, we played this sound, wondering if you can guess what it is and where in Poland you can hear it. Skowronek is the best proof of the truth of the saying that appearances can be misleading. Skowronek in Polish is a skylark, the most unremarkable looking bird in Poland, but one with the most beautiful song. It is larger than the house sparrow and smaller than starling, breeds from Britain to Siberia and south to India and to North Africa and nests on the ground in open areas. Unlike most perching birds, the male sings in flight, and what a flight! He starts up suddenly from the ground, goes up high in the sky, 50 to 100 meters, and hovers there for a few minutes, then plummets down to land on the ground. And all this time he is singing, while he rises so high that he may be scarcely visible, while he stays aloft, while he plunges to the earth again. Completely unknown in North America, with exception of a small area in British Columbia. Skowronki, skylarks, and their beautiful songs are as Polish as storks. When I close my eyes and hear them sing, I immediately see Polish meadows or fields in spring or summer, smell the flowers, and feel the breeze on my face. It's time for our next sound from Poland. Here it is. Listen, think, guess. Where do you need to be in Poland in order to hear this sound? And what is it? to the eighth episode of Polcast. Polcast is created, recorded and produced in Toronto by Małgorzata Panikowska and Tomek Kniat. For full-length interviews, visuals, and a lot of additional information, please visit our website at mypolcast.com. In our next episode, we will tell you 
what jazz means to one of the greatest jazz musicians born in Poland, living in the US and Canada. How being a woman at the turn of the 19th and 20th centuries did not stop a Polish scientist from winning two Nobel Prizes. How can young people make a difference, according to a young Polish-Canadian living and working in Brussels? And why a Canadian without Polish roots plans to retire in Poland and is studying the Polish language. And we leave you with the most popular polka in Poland, Grandpa Polka, also known as Clarinet Polka, that became very popular as the opening melody for the radio program Summer with Radio. (laughs) 